the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, we have a jam-packed episode this week for you. Dom Mastro is going to stop by to talk about the Giants. Tom McLevy is going to stop in for another McLevy minute. Sands is going to come by with that expert analysis that he always brings. I have some really good questions from one of the viewers that actually is going to constitute its own segment, Handicapper's Corner, all the usual suspects, plus some new stuff. It's going to be a good one today. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 12 preview, Cincinnati Bengals versus New York Giants. First play for the Bengals. Here's our personnel. We have Green all the way to the left. We have Sample as the tight end. We have Boyd in the slot. And we have Higgins all the way to the right. Geo in the backfield. What we do is Sample's going to line up on whatever side that Leonard Williams is on just to make sure that Williams has a little bit of a tougher route to the quarterback. And Tyler Boyd is going to line up on the same side that Bradbury's lined up on. So the ball snapped. Green and Higgins on the outside just go pouring deep down the field. Boyd is going to be in the slot. And again, we're probably going to go away from Bradbury on this play. So let's assume that Higgins is by himself over there. We're going to go deep to Higgins. Boyd is going to be in the slot on the other side, and he's going to come on a nice crossing route across the field. So if we don't like Higgins deep, we're going to hit Boyd. Boom, long pass to Higgins. Bengals up 7-0. Welcome Brandon Allen to the Cincinnati Bengals in the world. Kind of reminiscent of 1994 when Jeff Blake had his first start for the Bengals. So the Bengals were kind of at the bottom of the league at that point. And the Cowboys were the best team in the league. So we're playing Dallas. You know, the spread might have been like 20 points or so. It was ridiculous. And what do the Bengals do on the first play? They send Darnay Scott deep. Jeff Blake takes a big drop back and just lets the ball rip downfield. We got a big lead on the Cowboys that game by throwing a couple deep balls like that, taking them by surprise. So the method behind the madness of my first play is... Here's this backup quarterback no one knows, and boom, all of a sudden, he just threw an 80-yard pass on you guys. So take it for what it's worth. Coach Taylor, I hope you're listening. All right, let's move on to some headlines for the week. So the Joe Burrow injury, we finally found out everything that happened. And I'm not going to talk about this injury too much because, obviously, as you guys know, I was really broken up about it, as you all were. You know, a nightmare day in Cincinnati that I'm still thinking isn't real. I'm still waiting to wake up from it. So we found out he does have the torn ACL and the torn PCL and a torn meniscus and other various damage structurally to that knee. So you know what? He's going to rest up, let the swelling go down, get the surgery from an expert surgeon, and then just rehab like a madman. And, you know, he's going to be back next year. Again, it might not be in the first week. It might be a few games in. I mean, I'm hoping it's kind of towards the middle of the season just to make sure that he's totally okay. But when he comes back, guess who we got? We have Joe Burrow. So everything that we want for the future is right in front of us. Just let the man heal. Let us get our offensive line a little more in shape. And off we go, off into the sunset, playoffs, Super Bowl in the near future, all good in Bengaland. So keep your head up. Be positive. I'm getting over this nightmare, and I'm just thinking, hey, you know, I got six more Bengal games to watch this year, and I'm going to have fun doing it. So Coach Taylor made the decision that we were all hoping that he made. And uh, Brandon Allen's going to be starting over Ryan Finley. And no disrespect to Ryan Finley, you are a Bengal. I am pulling for you. But if you look at Finley's history, he had three games last year to showcase, and we didn't really move the ball well at all in those games. And then he had basically an entire half of football this season to show what he can do. 
and the game appeared to be just a little bit too big for him. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to him in this league. I don't think he has a future in Cincinnati. So good luck in your future. You know, this goes for any backup. You know, you're a backup. We understand your second string. But when you come in, it just can't be a total disaster because then why are you backing up? What are you backing up? You know, if you're going to come in and be totally unproductive, that's not the definition of a backup. A backup's the guy who can come in and, you know, kind of fill the place of the starter. Maybe a little bit of a drop-off, but not the drop-off off of a cliff. So Brandon Allen, what do we have in Brandon Allen? Well, we have a guy who was drafted in the sixth round by the Jaguars, and he has three starts. And he has something that Ryan Finley doesn't have, and that's a win in the NFL. He actually beat the Browns last year. So he knows Coach Taylor's system from being with the Rams. He's fast. I think he runs a 4.840, so there's, there's a weapon that he may possess for us. You know, and then on the negative, he had less than a 50% completion percentage in the, in the limited starts that he had. He was sacked nine times. So, you know, we, we want to make sure he's getting the ball out quick and making quick decisions because the Giants do have a very strong defensive line. And he has three touchdowns and two interceptions over those three games that he played. So the jury's still out. We don't know. We don't have much tape on him. Neither do the Giants. So maybe that could be to our advantage. So Brandon Allen, play well this week. This is your chance. If he plays lights out and and keeps us competitive for six games, maybe he's the backup quarterback next year. Winston Rose is now back. I'd like to see him get brought up to the active roster with all the problems that we're having at corner. I mean, it wouldn't hurt to get him in there throw him in for a few snaps and just see how he fares. He did have a lot of picks in the CFL. I know it's a big difference from the NFL, but you have him on the roster. Chances are you're not making the playoffs, so a good opportunity to see what these guys can do against NFL starters. All right, on the injury front, we have Auden Tate and B.J. Finney going on the COVID list, so they're not going to be active for this week. Gio's nursing a concussion, and you know how I feel about that. Let's make it a two-week rest period, not just slam him back into the starting lineup. And let's see what Travion Williams can do. He was good in some limited carries the other week, so and he is kind of the replacement for Geo. And again, that goes in line with giving some guys an opportunity to play at the NFL level against NFL starters and see what they can do. So I wouldn't mind seeing Geo sit out this week and letting the other guys get a crack at it. We have some hamstring injuries, which is unfortunate. You know, you normally see a lot of them in the beginning of the year, but you know, you just don't know what's going on this year. It's a crazy year for injuries. So we have Mackenzie Alexander, who's questionable for this week. Remember, when he went out during the Steelers game, that's when the floodgates opened. So I'm hoping that he plays this week, but we'll see what happens with that. Marcus Bailey with a hamstring, and Mike Thomas is slow getting back from that hamstring, so I don't know his availability for this week as well. And we have Logan Wilson with a neck injury, but it looks like he's going to play. Okay, so on to the Giant game. What are my concerns about this game? Well, A, they have a really good defensive line. You have Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence. Those guys have had good seasons. And Leonard Williams is a beast. He was another guy that when the Jets drafted him, I kind of wish that we got him that year. But when he came out with the Jets, I was like, oh, this guy is, is going to be a game changer and a defense changer. And although that hasn't quite been his path up to this point, he's a very dangerous defensive lineman. So I'm concerned about that. James Bradbury is having a Pro Bowl year at the corner for them. So you have to be careful when you're throwing at him. You know, even if it's Green or Higgins... You know, this guy has the potential to do some damage against you. So we have to watch out for him when we're airing the ball out, especially with a quarterback who hasn't had any reps this season. And then the other concern is with Brandon Allen coming in. 
he has thrown a couple interceptions, so you figured he played three games and he threw two interceptions. So it's almost like you can expect an interception to happen, especially, like I said, he hasn't had many reps, and they do have a decent corner in Bradbury. So I'm a little concerned about some interceptions or maybe, you know, if that defensive line gets to him and they force some fumbles. So turnovers, I mean, in every game, turnovers are a concern, but specifically in this game when you have a quarterback who's inexperienced. When we're on defense, what am I worried about? Truthfully, Evan Ingram. He's a good receiver, and we have to show that we can cover those tight ends. And they have a solid wide receiver core. You know, they're, they're not pro bowlers, but they're a core that you can't ignore. You know, with Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. Although Shepard's banged up, it's still, they have some guys that they can throw to. So look for them to be going after LaShawn Sims like everyone has. You know, these teams watch tape. They see the vulnerabilities. And Sims has struggled this year. So that could be a matchup issue, those going after Sims. And you know what I like to do strategically from the offense? I like when you find a weak corner and you keep throwing different guys at him out there. You send some guy deep on an aimless route, just make him run down the field on one. And then you have another receiver the next play, do some kind of slant on him. You know, he gets tired out from covering the deep route. Then he has another receiver who he's not used to his tendencies. So that's the way I like to attack a corner. And these guys have the manpower to attack LaShawn Sims in that way. So I hope Sims has a stand-up game this week, or else we're going to be letting up a lot of yards on that side of the field. Wayne Gallman's a dangerous running back as well. You know, Saquon Barkley is out for the year, and that's a big blow to that team, unfortunately for them. But Gallman's a tough runner, and I could see... This be one of those games where that backup, or, you know, he's not the backup anymore, but a guy like that, you know, pops off for 80 to 100 yards. So that could be dangerous as well. And then Daniel Jones, you know, love him or hate him, up and down. Jury's still out on him as a long-term starter in this league. But he is dangerous with those runs. 50-yard touchdown. The one play, I think he was going for like 80 yards before he fell down. He's very fast. I couldn't believe how fast he was when I watched that game. He was like running by defensive backs. I I was shocked at how fast he was. So that's going to be something to look out for this game. And Sands is going to go into that a little more when he gets to his segment. All right, what would I do? How would I approach this game if I was the coaching staff of the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, first off, I would come to the conclusion that this game may not be won through the air. Now, we're used to having Joe Burrow in there, and sky's the limit. Any pass on the field can be completed. Makes our wide receivers even more dangerous than they are. So this might not be that kind of game. You know, this might be a special teams game. This might be a Brandon Wilson return. They have a new kicker. Maybe the guy misses a key field goal. Maybe we get Daniel Jones to get back to committing turnovers and, you know, we get a couple fumbles out of him or maybe a bad decision and and Jesse Bates gets him for a pick. And time of possession. Let's keep the ball on our offense and not on theirs. That run-pass mix, you know, keep the clock running when you have the ball. Try to get them on a few three and outs. You know, a little bit of like a grinding game. Not not a high-flying, exciting game, but just kind of grind it out. You know, the war of attrition, as they say. I think that's going to be more the key to winning this game. All right, so when we're on offense, you have to exploit that Tyler Boyd-Darnay-Holmes matchup. Holmes is struggling this year, and Boyd's at the top of the league. So we have to find a way to get him the ball consistently, often, as we have been. But he's got to be a main target in this game. They have a weak linebacking core. Blake Martinez is good. We know that. But you attack that linebacking core with some tight end and running back passes, like I've said in the past. It's a good way. Some screens, some draws, stuff like that. And then what I said at the top of the show... A couple clever protection deep balls. Not just a max protect, because then they just double up on the two guys out there, so it's hard to get a deep ball off. But just some creative protections, just to give them a little bit of time to throw. A couple shotguns, and just let the ball rip down the field. As I said, if they don't have too much tape on a quarterback, 
those are the kind of games where you can get away with a few bombs. As long as he can get the ball out there, and if he's an NFL quarterback, he should be able to get the ball out there. And let's see like a 40, 45-yard in the air down the field into the hands of Higgins or Green or Boyd down the seam, whatever. And then don't discount Brandon Allen scrambling, another weapon for an inexperienced quarterback. And, you know, Finley was good at that too. Same thing. Maybe five wide receivers out in the pattern, Brandon Allen takes off. Maybe a rollout, you think he's going to be going for the receiver who's doing a crossing route or an out, but no, he just takes off upfield, you know, seven yards, first down, that kind of thing. All right, what would I do on defense? The Giants have a pretty weak offensive line. Kevin Zeitler's in there, old friend, so he's pretty solid, but he's not having a lights-out year. They have Andrew Thomas, the rookie, who's struggling a little bit. They're on their third-string right tackle, and the other two guys aren't really performing as well as they should be either. So I say, you know, Carl Lawson, this could be a good game for him, but I'd like to see some stunts. I'd like to see us try to confuse that line and get to Daniel Jones, cause some fumbles. And don't blow contain. Another recurring theme. Don't let Gallman get outside. Don't just sell out defending against the pass and there's all these big lanes for Jones to run in. I almost feel like we should spy Daniel Jones a little bit, almost like a Lamar Jackson, because he is that quick, believe it or not. You know, watch the tape. It's, I, I was shocked, as I said at the top of the show. So maybe we go back to that theory that I had of Brandon Wilson spying the quarterback. Not a bad idea, especially if Jones has a couple successful runs. We're going to need to change up at halftime and make those kind of adjustments. And this is a game more for the coverage linebackers than the thumper linebackers. So, you know, Pratt and Bynes struggled last week, but that's not an indictment on them. They've been playing pretty well this year. But I think this game might be more of a Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither covering Evan Ingram type game. I don't want that tight end to light us up, and those guys are a little bit better in coverage than Bynes and Pratt. Prediction for the game. We get to Daniel Jones with one of those stunts, or Lawson just goes crazy and gets in there like, Right as he drops back, boom, fumble, turnover. Bengals get a couple turnovers. Brandon Allen plays the game manager. I'm not going to try to win this game by myself. I'm going to manage the game, manage the 50-50 pass-run ratio, and the Bengals win. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Dom Mastro. All right, we're here with not only one of my dearest friends on the planet, but a Giants expert, Dom Mastro. Dom, how are you today? I'm doing well today, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you. So why are the Giants going to beat the Bengals on Sunday? All right, before I get to why the Giants are going to win the game, I I want to tell you a few facts that I found out, you know, that I'm surprised you and I haven't come up with over the years. One, the Giants have only played the Bengals 10 times. That's the fewest amount of teams uh, that they played against, except for the Carolina Panthers, who only entered the league in 95. The Bengals lead the series six games to four. Last time they played, they played in Giants Stadium. The Giants won 21 to 20 back in 2016. So the, uh, the Giants, they're going to win this game because of their defense, right? Their defense has been coming up big over the last couple weeks. They, uh, over the last five games, they are three and two. And the two losses they have by a total of five points. So as good as the defense has been playing, and they've been coming up with some pretty big stops down the down the line, the offense has been coming around too. Daniel Jones has not had any any interceptions or fumbles in the last two weeks. They recovered nicely from the, the Saquon Barkley loss early in the season. Wayne Goldman has been picking up in the backfield, even though Daniel Jones is the leading rusher for the Giants. Alfred Morris Morris has been a nice pickup for them. 
He's been finishing off rushes the old-fashioned way by lowering your shoulder and driving through the defenders. So I'm happy with that. The offensive line has a new coach. Uh, there was a, a little scuffle or flare-up between uh, the coaches, and they, they removed one of them. The old line has been going back and forth. They've been doing a rotating system, kind of like Bill Belichick was doing up in New England with their old linemen, and it seems to have been worked the last couple of weeks for the Giants. The receiving side, Darius Slayton, 6-1 pass catcher. That's all he does is catch passes. He leads the team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns. He's tied with Everett Ingram, who's been up and down all year, but after that horrible drop against the Eagles a couple weeks ago, he's been making a nice comeback. Defensively, I'm torn between my two picks of the year. The, the signing of, of James Bradbury or the signing of Blake Martinez. I'm not sure which one was more important for the Giants. Bradbury has been solid on, on the outside. Uh, he's picked, he's filled in a very important spot that the Giants lacked. So they're, they're doing it right there. But Blake Martinez, he's a tackling machine. You know, he's, he's in the top ten in the league in, in tackles. He's got a couple sacks. The defense over the last three games has three interceptions and five sacks. That defensive line with Leonard Williams, who should surpass his all-time high for sacks, he's going to do some damage against that that Bengal line. So maybe we'll we'll see what happens there. Interesting. A couple things. I wasn't sure about the Giants' linebacking core. I thought that was one of the weaknesses. But as you're saying, Martinez seems to be having a really good season. What about the other guys around him? The other guys around him. Well, they have David Mayo is playing. He's been a nice addition to the piece. He's playing the other inside backer position. Uh, on the weak side, they have Trent Harris, who, who stepped up. And on the strong side, Kyler Fracknell, who's been serviceable. You know, he's been frustrating to watch at times because he'll make these tremendous plays and then he'll get caught out of position on a simple a simple run. So it's been a little difficult at times with him. And they, they have had some injuries on, at the backer position, and, and Blake Martinez has been the stud for them. All right, let's move on to special teams. Overall, do you think the special teams for the Giants are going to be a plus in this game or a minus in this game? I it all depends. Right now, uh, Graham Gadot is out. He's he's on the, the COVID list, and I'm not sure if he'll be activated for this weekend or not. The Giants have signed a replacement, but Gadot was having an, an, a Pro Bowl type caliber season. The Giants have been kind of rotating their punt returners. Uh, Riley Dixon, the punter, has been having a good season, but their their punt returning people have been going back and forth. Uh, Golden Tate's been back there. Jabril Peppers, Slayton's been back there a few times. Uh, their main kickoff people, Deion Lewis, who's the, the second or third string running back, depending on how you look at their depth chart. And C.J. Board, uh, a young wide receiver, has been back there. But they signed Ryan Santoso to, to be the kicker this week, and, that, and that's got me a little worried. Now let's move on to the offense for one second. What do you think the run-pass mix is going to be against the Bengals? I, I think it's going to be run. Set, run's going to set up the pass. If Daniel Jones has played the way he's played the last two weeks, I, I think you can see a lot of Daniel Jones option with the ball, keeping the ball. I'm not sure if the mix is going to be, you know, more run than pass, but that's the way it's been the last couple of weeks. I, I, I don't think they're going to change what they've been doing. Is Daniel Jones the long-term quarterback for this team? That's a tough question. The Giants going down the, the, the end of the season, they still have a very good chance to win the division. Getting through the Bengal game is going to be tough for them. After that, they have four games against teams with winning records going down the stretch until they close the season with Dallas. When they close the season with Dallas, that game might very well be for the NFC Championship, uh, uh, NFC East Championship. Depending on how far he gets, obviously it's going to push the Giants draft pick way up. 
So there, there may not be any quarterbacks for him to take. But I think Daniel Jones is showing something. He's stepping into his own. He's, he's the, an option to keep the ball, and, and he plays alive with his feet. I like the way he throws the deep ball. I think the Giants just need to get him a few more weapons or, or get the weapons that they have more involved. I think that starts when Saquon comes back next year. Yeah, that's going to be big for you when Saquon comes back. In the local talk radio, because obviously we're both from New Jersey, so we hear a lot of the New York talk radio all the time, they seem to really like Joe Judge as a coach. What are your thoughts on him? I like Joe Judge as a coach. I've seen countless interviews with him. I like the way he presents himself, the way he handles himself. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. I'm sure your your fans in in Cincinnati have it. But over the summer, when they were doing their their preseason camp, there was a day when it was pouring rain around here. Joe Judge held practice outside because how, he said, how often do you get to play in these kind of elements? And then he got involved in a loose ball drill and was all covered in mud with his players. I think the players like him. I think the, the coaching staff he has around him supports him very well. Good stuff, Dom. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Uh, anytime, Frank. Anytime you know that. It's uh, always been too long since we, we talked to each other. Listeners Forum. All right, so I'd like to thank Easy95, and that's E-E-Z-Y dot on Instagram. He came up with some really, really good questions for this week, and to the point where I hope he keeps continuing to submit questions like this. It makes up its own segment, so, you know, thank you for doing the work for me, Easy. These, these were great questions. Okay, question one. What's your ideal starting lineman going into week 12 and going forward? So my answer to that is Jonah Williams at left tackle, Spain at left guard. He has to be a starter from this point on in the season. Let's keep Hopkins at center for some continuity. You know, we have the option of Billy Price if anything happens there, who had a great game when he came in as center. And now the wrinkle is, I, I want to go with our five best linemen, regardless of their natural positions. And I know Adenogy is a natural left tackle, but he also did play some guard at Kansas. So I would put him in at right guard and just see what happens. And if he if it seems like he's struggling at that position, then I would bring in Redmond. And remember, Suofilo is going to come back soon too, so we have some options there. But right now I would go with Adenogy for this game at least and see what happens. And then Bobby Hart at right tackle. Again, not a fan favorite. A lot of people criticize Hart. But I actually went on his Instagram a couple days back, and that dude is jacked. You know, a lot of people that have these complaints about him, I'm sure they wouldn't say it to him if he was in the room with them. Question two. If you could step in as general manager, what would the ideal offseason look like? And what do you think of the future of this team will be like realistically? All right, so my answer to that is, here's my grocery list for the offseason. And when the offseason comes, we're going to dive really deep into this topic. But for now, if I could pick what I wanted to do this offseason, here's what I would do. Four offensive linemen. Let's get Penny Sewell at the top of the draft and solidify that tackle position. And let's draft another offensive lineman in the second or third round, no later than that. You know, maybe you could take a flyer on some free agents or maybe a sixth or seventh round pick, but I want two high choices on the offensive line, a tackle and then the next best offensive lineman that we can get. And then I want to see us sign two free agents, two free agent offensive linemen, really good ones, not middle of the pack, like top tier. We somehow find a way to clear the cap space, and there's ways to do that. I'm not going to talk about not re-signing some guys on the roster now or waiving some people. I don't want to go there just yet. But I think that we need to get some top-flight free agents and two high draft picks, literally. Let's just send a message. Joe Burrow, we're going to finally protect you the way that you deserve to be protected. We're going to bring in four 
starting quality offensive linemen. Two outside guys and two inside guys. And it's not to say that Hopkins or Spain won't be starting next year as well, but let's just get as many of them in the mix as possible because guys get hurt. And again, you want to create a competitive atmosphere in training camp where you have a lot of good players competing for these five starting spots. So with that said, or maybe it takes the third, the second or third round pick a year or two before he's a top flight starter. So with that said, a complete overhaul of the offensive line. And we need another pass rusher. Lawson's having a good year. Hubbard's having a pretty good year when, when healthy this year. I'd like to see us get one maybe in the second round. And it's hard. Normally, past the first round, you don't get those elite guys. I know there's exceptions. Believe me, there are. But, you know, normally, just like quarterbacks, and there's exceptions there, but you like to see, you know, you get a top 10 guy there. So we might not have the option to get one of the best college defensive ends or pass rushers. So it might be a case of having to spend some money in free agency, too. I don't know who's coming out next year, but every year there's a couple guys that are edge rushers that are worth signing, and I want to see us go aggressively at one of them this year. And then I think we need to bring in another corner. You know, Waynes is coming in. They're probably going to re-sign William Jackson. But I'd like to see us add one more. Well, Mackenzie Alexander, obviously, is playing great. But he's more of a slot guy. I'd like to see us sign one more outside corner, just in case something happens. Because you see we're struggling a little bit this year with, without Waynes and with Darius Phillips going down. So let's try to head that off at the pass. And then a pass-catching tight end. Let's get Joe Burrow another weapon. Maybe that is a third or a fourth rounder in the draft this year. Nothing higher. I think the first two rounds need to be spent on the offensive line and defensive line. All right, last question from Easy95 is, do you see a signing of veteran quarterbacks since Joe Burrow will not be ready for week one? 100%. Unless Brandon Allen lights it up and wins a couple games or just shows that he's dynamite in Burrow's absence, they need to bring in a veteran. They need to bring in someone who, who's going to play, let's say, the first half of the season at least and be able to get you competitive and, and not go 2-6. and six. You know, we, we need a guy that's going to keep us at 5-3 and three for when Burrow comes back. So Sands has a thought on that, which he's going to bring up a little bit later in the show. But without a doubt, we need to get a veteran in here for any team, you know, because quarterbacks get hurt. And if you're going to be a playoff competing team and you don't have a backup quarterback and your quarterback goes down, you might not be making the playoffs. Or if you make the playoffs, you're not going anywhere. So it's really important. You know, you're going to have to spend a couple million on a backup. It can't just be a journeyman or a late-round draft pick. So yes, easy. We have to sign a veteran quarterback in this offseason. All right, that was a lot of fun, and it got me to think about topics that I might not have thought of on my own. So if any of you guys have any other questions you want to ask, just DM me on Instagram or Twitter, and I'll be sure to mention your handle on the show as well. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, bud? All right, my friend. So what's your take on everything that's going on? I hate to say it, but we knew something was going to go wrong. The protection for Burrow. It's unfortunate. And, you know, he's going to have a, you know, a long road, but he'll bounce back. That's not the issue. The thing I'm going to pray for is his mental state. It, hopefully this won't affect him in the pocket. Uh, one of his uh, great attributes is to keep the play alive. Don't give up on a play. He's done it tremendous times. I hope that he doesn't lose that by feeling the hit and going down. Many times he would scramble around and, you know, all of a sudden hit a receiver. So uh, I hope and pray that's not lost. Um, the issue is the offensive line. Mike Brown... 
do Tobin have to address this? They have to address this in the offseason. You know, they didn't address it till the sixth round in uh, Adenogy, who's turning out to be a, a pretty good player. But um, the other ones are just, you know, backups. Just put it bluntly. You had a franchise core. You have a franchise quarterback on your team that's going to change the franchise, the city, and the NFL. They did a terrible job in protecting this kid. And Zach uh, Taylor, terrible job in making him pass the ball early in the third quarter, 30 plus times. You know, that's unthinkable um, to put him in, in that kind of situation with a Washington team that has an excellent front. Terrible. Uh, it's one thing, like you said previously in the podcast, that he was getting the ball out quick. Then all of a sudden, they started trying the long passes, which is good because you got to make the defense think. But too many times, uh, they have no running game. And it's not because of the running backs, it's because of the offensive line. So it was on Burrow. And uh, now that they're sorting uh, Allen against the Giants, uh, I think you're really going to see how bad the offensive line is because of the fact Joe Burrow hid how bad they were because he was playing at a superior level. It's going to be interesting as the Giants. If Burrow was playing, I really feel confident in beating the Giants. But even though they're playing well, uh, I just... I just don't see the Bengals, you know, I maybe the defense stands up and gets a, a little active, but I just don't see this offense, unless Allen shows us that he could be a quality backup, it tells you something on Ryan Finley that, you know, he's a Zach Taylor uh, draft pick. He's not comfortable in going with him. So that tells you another thing Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, blew on the, the last year's draft. They took this kid, and he's not even a quality backup. So, you know, this organization really has to look in the mirror in this offseason. Uh, will Mike Brown spend money? You know, he showed it last year, uh, which I felt was because of the Reds spending money because they knew they were getting Burrow and they neglected signing players on the offensive line. So this season is going to be interesting how they're going to protect Burrow in the future. We're hoping now they go third and um, can get that lineman from Oregon. Like I said, it's a shame, but we knew this was going to happen. Yeah, I hear you, Tom. It's unfortunate. I really wish that the line that they had going into this season was a little bit better than what they went in with, unfortunately. I, I know, Frank, and, you know, we've been through a lot with this organization in the past with injuries and, and disappointments, and, you know, starting from Greg Cook. The city is deflated. One single guy turned the franchise and the city around. And like I said, it's going to be interesting on this offseason if Mike Brown spends money again. I don't want to hear, you know, a small market. I don't want to hear that anymore. The NFL is a money machine. 
it gets split up equally. Mike Brown has a ton of money. Baseball can sort of say that. Football, no. I agree, Tom. I mean, in baseball, you have the salary cap. So, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, in football, you have the salary cap. Baseball, it's kind of unlimited if you want to pay the luxury tax. So, yeah, you're right. Small market, big market, it doesn't matter. Everyone's playing with the same amount of money. Exactly, Frank. Now it's getting to a point where people might start saying, Cincinnati, I'm not going there. You know, it's starting to get back into that. So... Hopefully last year it changed with him spending money. So let's see. Even, like you say, there's so many needs on this team. You know, Jesse Bates alone has to be paid. But, like, William Jackson, that's like a guy you got to look at really close and look around at who other free agent. Just don't pay him because, well, we drafted him. You know, don't start doing that crap again. Look at the free agents around there and see if anybody there is better than William Jackson. And if they are, go after them. No, Tom, it's true. And, you know, coming into this year, the fact that they drafted Burrow and it seemed like everything was turning around, I started to think that people were going to want to come to Cincinnati and be a part of all this magic. But the fact that, you know, a little bit of negligence in, in the roster and in the game plan got this guy hurt... It might be what you said of of guys not wanting to come here again. Now, with players questioning the coaching staff, that hurts. These guys talk. Zach Taylor and company, you know, they might be a laughing stock to the NFL players. I I really think changes have to be made in this offseason. Like we've talked about previously, now you get a new defensive coordinator, now you might have round pegs going into square holes because there's a new defensive coordinator. So, you know, this organization really, really have to look in the mirror this offseason and, uh, you know, question what's going on. For Geno Atkins to be invisible, unheard of in a game, why all of a sudden, you know, Mike Brown paid him very handsomely for he was an all-pro player. Now, all of a sudden, you don't hear him. Why isn't Mike Brown questioning this? So, you know, it'll be very interesting in the offseason. Tom, excellent takes and strong takes, as always. Thank you for coming on, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Handicapper's Corner. The unofficial Bengals podcast current record is 12 wins, 17 losses. 41 percent. 41 percent. Man, I just keep getting worse and worse this season. Like I said, be careful if you're going to bet on these games. They're so unpredictable, no matter what kind of research or what you know about the game. And one note before I get into the picks for today, I found that some of the best picks out there are when you take a team to win by between 1 and 13 points. So basically you're saying they're not going to blow away this team, but they're going to win the game. And that way you're not subject to the Vegas spreads because, you know, the Vegas spreads always bring everything to the middle. The attempt by Vegas is to make it kind of a 50-50 choice. And that's hard for someone. You know, you flip a coin, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And sometimes Vegas will sneak up on you and see what people are trending towards betting and then increase the odds accordingly. And that kind of messes with people. So that's a lot of times how you lose these bets as well. So if you can stay away from the spreads, go for it. The money lines are good if you're just going to predict the winner flat out, but they don't pay as much. So I found that if you choose teams to win between 1 and 13, you get some really good odds. 
and really the team just has to win and the other team just has to kind of stay in the game. So that's some advice if you're going to be making some bets this weekend. And then the other thing I found, I do better when I bet on games while they're going on. You know, you can kind of see the flow of a game and say, wow, you know, they're they're scoring like crazy. This is probably going to be the over. Or, wow, someone just got hurt. You know, maybe this team isn't going to cover by seven. A lot of times, those are the, the better bets, too. So just two pieces of advice from an under 500 gambler. So take it for what it's worth. All right, so here's my picks for this week. I have the Bills defeating the Chargers by between 1 and 13. I have the Chiefs minus 3 at the Buccaneers. And I have the Titans and Colts in a shootout over 51 and a half. Those are the games I'm going with. Bet at your own risk. And good luck to any team that you pick this week, unless they're the New York Giants. X's and O's with Sands. All right, we're here with Sands. Sands, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? All right, my man, based on the circumstances. What are your thoughts on the Washington game? So before the injury that ruined our season. I thought Zach was actually calling a really good game. Some really interesting stuff. We ran what's called a glance RPO. An RPO, it's almost a buzzword you hear announcers talk about a lot. It's really just what it says, run pass option. The line doesn't move down field quick enough to get called for an ineligible man downfield. And the quarterback is going to read a player, usually either a linebacker or even a safety. On the glance RPO, which is my favorite of the ones I've talked about, we ran it week one against the Chargers. It was that little short, it's that little short post. They call that a glance route. This little short 12, 15-yard post from the wide receiver. We did to green in that game, and we did to green again in this one. I'd love to see more of it, and especially next year too, because it's a quick play. Your quarterback's not going to get hit. And then it's an RPO that isn't like a five-yard gain. This is a 12, 15-yard pass. And it's still that quick that it, you can do the whole play before your offensive line gets five yards downfield. It was a weird run look where it looked like Hopkins pulled out left and tried to pin a guy inside. I'm not sure what the whole run was supposed to be. Maybe it was just a power play. But Burroughs does that, and he's staring down the safety who comes sprinting down to try to fit into the run, pulls it back, and it's just a free 12, 15 yards to A.J. Green. And that could be run to T. Higgins. We could probably run to Boyd in the slot. I like it because it works the inside. The linebackers and safeties, they're going to come in on the basically the play fake, like a play action. They're going to come in on that look. So you want to throw it right over top of them, gain 12, 15 yards. The speed out's fine if the defender's way off. Just a little quick five-yard gain there. They break a tackle. They got more. But I like the I like the glance more. Going to run them both, hopefully. I don't want to become an RPO team, but I would like to be a team that runs them. So that's one interesting thing on offense. We had a lot of quick passes. We did take some deep shots, and I mean, that's what ended up hurting us in the end. We took uh, one too many of those, I guess, but I mean, it is what it is. He's going to come back next year. And then defensively, I thought Von Bell was pretty good in coverage again. I know he's been on and off on that, but he was doing a decent job. There's one play I think he messed up on the touchdown that they tried to blame Bates for for some reason. The guy ran a short crosser, and one I would blame either Bell or Sims. It looked like Bell because we looked like we had we were playing what's called man match. I've talked about this, especially on Instagram. If you want to check it out, I have videos on it as well. Cover one man match where it's man 
but based off of what the receivers do, you're matching and changing your man. So they ran trips to the right, and the reason they're doing that is to try to confuse the defense because a lot of defenses play this match play where one guy's coming in from the outside, the inside guy's going to go out, the middle guy's going to go vertical, and there's certain rules based off of where they go, who's getting them. So pre-snap, because they motioned into it, Bell was out wide, and he comes inside to the inside most person. So what his job is to take the inside guy. His guy goes outside, the second guy goes vertical, and the last guy outside comes in. But instead of taking him in, he follows the vertical for some reason, and Sims is also on the vertical, so there's nobody on this shallow crosser from the outside most receiver. And Pratt's there, but he's a linebacker, and he wasn't in a good position to take this, really. It would have been his job, which is another interesting thing. They didn't throw it right away, so it's also kind of on Pratt. He's facing, he's like directly facing him, and he just takes too long to be able to flip his hips and run with him. And Bates tries his best to cover it up, but he's a deep safety play and eight yards into the end zone. There's not that much he can do. But I think other than that one play, there was another cover one man match situation from a bunch set that Pratt played really well and ended up being our only sack, I believe our only sack of the game from Carl Lawson. We were able to play good enough coverage for three seconds so he could get back there. So I thought Bell had a pretty good game. Pratt and pretty much all the linebackers really struggled. And defensive line didn't really get much pressure other than Lawson. That's just the story of the year, really. But yeah, I thought offensively it was a really well-called game. It's something that I think we should keep going with throughout this year and then definitely into next year. We ran all all my favorite run plays, like insert, ISO, and I have these on Instagram, too. You can check those out. (laughs) kind of promoting it now. But yeah, Bengals underscore Sands on Instagram if you want to see a uh, quick breakdown of these plays. I usually put my favorites on there and Sands, what are your thoughts on Joe Burrow? I mean, the giant elephant in the room, and then it was it was his ACL, and then it, I assumed it was his meniscus because, like Frank talked about on the last podcast, I also tore my ACL in a contact injury when I was playing basketball in high school. And meniscus just gets torn with that whenever you have an ACL that's bas- basically anytime you have an ACL contact tear, your meniscus is getting torn too. So that wasn't what worried me. And then, so I assumed that was happening. And then you hear it's the MCL too. So that's not great. You're having two ligaments. And I guess throwing in the PCL there too, it just keeps getting like more worse news as it goes on. I think he's going to be okay. Everything I see from doctors is that he should be back within nine to 12 months, which isn't what you want, obviously. You want the six-month recovery. But even at nine months, I've seen some some of the doctors on Twitter that break down football stuff, they say he might be back. He could be back for week one. And some say he might be back by like week four or five next year. Altogether, I mean, I'd want him just rest up. This is our quarterback of the future. I don't want to rush him back. What I think would be interesting is if we sign, we have the reunion of Ryan Fitzpatrick because I think he's actually a veteran journeyman that would be a good fit for our offense really not perfect but he's going to go deeper more than I think we want he's going to throw some picks but I think he's a guy that can keep the offense afloat maybe win some games if Burrow has to miss to start the year so we don't need to rush him back but I also think that Burrow's going to be okay these knee injuries are more 
I mean, anymore, they're insanely good medically, just people coming back from these things. Like, every year, Cooper Cup came back from one, and he's, he got better as a wide receiver. And then you look at quarterbacks, and none of these have been really devastating for quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson was my favorite comparison for this. I mean, he tore his ACL his rookie year, and he came back better. His completion percentage increased. He threw for more yards, more touchdowns, less interceptions. You could see that he was playing smarter. I think that's one thing that a quarterback can do is that they can really study the things that you don't do with your legs. Basically, everything you do with your mind. You read defenses, you practice with your eyes, you want to look people off. So I think that's something that he can get better at. He's already good at reading a defense and using his eyes. Get even better. I mean, there's always room for improvement. I think even Peyton Manning was out there in his 12th year practicing, reading the defense, seeing what was going on, trying to pick out a guy that they want to pick on, things like that, just becoming more familiar with an offense. Because even if we change coaches, I think Burrow's going to have a say in what the offense will be because a good coach is going to tailor their offense to the players and not do it the other way, not force their players to fit into their offense. I would hope that we either keep Taylor, who is a good fit for us, or if we did hire a new coach, I want it to be somebody that would tailor the offense to the players. So he comes back next year, hopefully better than before, and we can make the run at the playoffs with a few of the AFC North. I mean, it's great, <laughs> so it's going to be tough. So we'll need him to come back strong. I know Gino had a little bit of a struggle coming back from his ACL for a year. He plays a defensive tackle, and that's such a driving with your legs position. And this one isn't. And it's his left leg, which makes it feel a little bit better that it's not his leg he pushes off of. It's the one he plants with. So I don't think it should have too much of an effect on his throwing velocity either. Wow, Sands. You know, listening to that gives me some optimism. I, I hope that everything falls the way you're saying there. Um, let's move on to the Giants game. So what, how are you feeling about that? What do, you, what do you thinking that we should be doing in this game? Offensively, it's going to be tough because I, I would still run the same offense. To me, this is basically we're auditioning people for next year, and we're just going to try to get people nail down the offense for them next year. Because T. Higgins is a rookie. He's still learning how to play wide receiver in the NFL and how to play in this offense. So I would keep running the same stuff we've been running. Try to see what's working, what's not working, because even though they're going to be able to load the box against the run, we still want to be able to run. And I'd love it, I guess, in a greedy way, if we could get these wide receivers, Boyd and Higgins, to a 1,000 yards. But if we're talking schematically against the Giants, they have three very good interior defensive linemen, and Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and I think Dexter Williams big strong guys and I think Leonard specifically he came from the Jets he was a first round pick they traded for him and they gave him a franchise tag he's a very strong guy and he's a good pass rusher too usually lines up I believe over the left guard from when I was watching they move a little bit and sometimes they pull uh, I think Dalvin plays the nose they pull him sometimes and sometimes they pull Dexter too usually Leonard's in there I would look out for him especially against what killed us in the last game, apparently, I, I thought those guys were more uh, run defenders. Jonathan Allen was destroying Michael Jordan, just pushing him back there like a sled. He was, had this weird bull rush where he would kind of bear hug him as he went back there. I don't know if his job was just to penetrate so Burrow couldn't step up. I don't know how he was ever going to disengage and make the sack. It seemed like he was just the pressure guy, so he would just kind of bear hug Jordan and run him back there. 
and that's what happened in the end was that they kind of got tangled up and we know what happened <laughs> but uh so i'd look out for leonard williams as a interior defensive lineman usually a three technique between the b and c gap and sometimes a five technique outside of the tackle four eye right inside the tackle usually you're going to line up around that area typically going to rush over the guard so that's what i would be worried about on their defense and that james bradbury has been a lockdown cornerback this year he's been very good for a free agency pickup for them a few places i think they're susceptible is that their slot cornerback is a rookie and he's not he's not playing uh, at a very high level and we have possibly the best but one of the best slot wide receivers in the league and Tyler Boyd so that's something we should attack with and that's usually a short throw that Ryan Finley can make I don't think their linebackers are that great either and we did a pretty good job of attacking the football team's linebackers they weren't great and same with the football team as well their safety play isn't the best it's Logan Ryan who used to play slot cornerback he's playing deep safety for them well the one interesting thing about that will be if they're gonna it opens them up to be able to do things like play cover zero nobody back deep because logan ryan is for a safety very good in man coverage their offensive line's not great they have first round pick andrew thomas who i think i thought he was the best tackle coming out but i guess i was wrong looking at uh, some of the other guys but i still think he's pretty good but their right tackle nate Solder opted out of the season i believe matt pert is on the COVID list so then they're down to cam fleming again who's not very good uh, Shane Lemieux at left guard isn't very good. Nick Gates hasn't been that great. They have Zeitler, so it's a reunion with him. And they had that weird fight with their offensive line coach and head coach. So there's a whole turmoil going on in their offensive line room. So I think that's somewhere maybe we can get some pressure, but our defensive line hasn't been great either. I think Lawson should be in line to – he usually lines up over their second-best offensive lineman, but still I think Lawson can get some pressure this game. The one last thing I want to bring up about the Giants' offense, I think some people underrate how fast Daniel Jones is. They run him on design quarterback runs like he's Lamar Jackson. I saw in the Eagles game of their last game, I watched uh, most of that on the coach's film, and he scored a 50-yard touchdown on it, sprinting down the field. So that's definitely something to look out for. But also that he doesn't really have great pocket awareness, and he fumbles the ball a lot. So those are both things that we could take advantage of. But I would just look out for him. If he gets moving, I mean, he's fast for a quarterback, like very fast. Yes, Sans, he was looking like lightning on that one breakaway in the Eagles game. And then, uh, what, a couple weeks back, he was running that really long one. No one could catch him, and then he fell down. (laughs) He caught himself on that one. Yeah. Sans, really excellent talking to you. And, again, thank you for being there for me when the Burrow injury occurred. And, you know, it's just it's a real pleasure having you on the show and as a friend. Oh, yeah. It's it's great being on. It's like a little family we have here. So i got to look out for you and I'm sure you'll look out for me, too. AFC North Standings. So the Bengals are 2-7-1 and one this season. We're eight games behind the first-place Steelers. We're the 14th seed in the AFC. And if the season ended today, we would have the third pick in the draft. The Steelers are 10-0, and 0, the Browns are 7-3, and 3, and the Ravens are 6-4. and 4. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be entirely dedicated to reviewing the Bengals-Giants game. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, 
Definitely something you guys got to check out. And I'd also like to thank the Zedia Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Instagram or Twitter, and Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.